On this episode, Abram becomes Abraham and how God sets his people apart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 16, and today we'll be going over lesson 7 of the Abraham study. Last episode, we talked about how Abram and Sarah got tired of waiting for their son, and they took matters into their own hands. Sarah decided that maybe the child wasn't going to be hers, but only Abram's. And so she gave her maidservant to Abram, and they had a son named Ishmael through her maidservant. That was in Genesis 16, and this week we'll pick up in Genesis 17. Ishmael is 13 years old by this point, and God comes to Abram again. So let's start reading in Genesis 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Names all had meanings back then, and so when your name got changed, it meant that you were identified as someone different than you were before. So the name Abram meant exalted father. He has become the exalted father of Ishmael, but God is about to make him the father of many. Remember, he's been telling him he's going to be many nations, So he is going to make him the father of many, and that's what Abraham means, the father of many. He'll no longer be just the exalted father of Ishmael, but he is going to be the father of many, many more. There are several places in the Bible that recount the entire story of Abraham. And so as we go through each step of Abraham's life, whenever it's discussed somewhere else in the Bible, we'll be referring to those places. And Nehemiah 9 is one of those passages that refers to Abraham. 
The people have been living in exile at this time, and they're about to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. And so the leaders are reminding the people where they came from and what God's called them to do. And so we'll read that part of it in Nehemiah 9, 7, and 8. It says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. So now that God has changed his name, he's going to also set his people apart specifically for him. So let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born to your house, and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person should be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. So now God is setting his people apart. He has set Abram apart as Abraham, the father of many. And now he is setting his people apart, distinguishing them completely from other groups. There may have been other groups that practice circumcision for cleanliness purposes, but God says that every single one of them are supposed to be circumcised so that it will physically distinguish them from everyone else. There's also another purpose that we'll talk about here in a minute. Now, another place that refers to Abraham's life is found in Acts 7. And this is when Stephen is in trouble for believing in Jesus by the same people that had killed Jesus. And he's presenting his defense. And we'll begin reading in the first verse of chapter 7. It says, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, God promised to give this land to him for possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the nation to whom they would be in bondage, God would judge. And after that, they shall come out and serve him at this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Before we go too deeply into why God asked them to circumcise themselves, I want us to talk just a little bit about the details of when this was to be done because God did not just pick an arbitrary day out of his head. 
He told them to circumcise their male babies on the eighth day. And now, through medical research, we found that the eighth day is the optimal time for your blood to clot. And so it makes it the very best day for any types of surgeries to be performed. There are two things that you need for clotting. You need vitamin K and you need prothrombin. Vitamin K is in the body around day five to seven. So before those days, there's no vitamin K really in your body. So it's more difficult for the blood to clot. And prothrombin builds every single day and it peaks at 110% on the eighth day. And then on the ninth day, it begins to level off at 100%. So on the eighth day, you have the very most prothrombin and vitamin K in your body. And I just tell you this because it seems that God is so detailed in his description, but when it doesn't make sense to us as to why, we think maybe that doesn't quite matter. What does it matter if I do it on the eighth day or the fourth day or whatever? But God is not random. He pays very careful attention to detail, and he's always taking care of us. In every single command that he gives to us and every detail of that, he does that for a reason, because he knows the very best way and time to do things. I want to skip down and read Abraham's response to God's command. Beginning in verse 22, it says, Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all that he bore in his house, and all that he bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 when he was circumcised. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with his money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So it says that immediately after God left him, Abraham obeyed. And so I just want to stress how important it is, first of all, that it's important not to procrastinate. When God tells us to do something, It's good practice to obey immediately because Abraham could have made excuses and just continued to put it off and put it off. Well, this isn't a good time. This isn't a good time. But he didn't do that. And when we do that, generally, we put things off way longer than we should. And then the second thing is that not only do we need to obey immediately, but we also need to obey completely. If God is going to give such attention to detail, then we need to also. If he gives us a command and he tells us a specific way to do it, then we need to be very careful to follow that because he is not random. He is not chaotic. He has a rhyme and reason for the things that he tells us. And so we need to pay very close attention and do it exactly as we've been told. And then do it quickly so that nothing gets in the way of us following through with our obedience. Now, before we read the middle section of this chapter, I want to talk just a little bit about the spiritual and physical aspects of why God asked them to do these things. So spiritually, circumcision has twofold symbolism. Providing that sin enters the world through man 
and man is the one that carries the seed for birth, then it's showing a cutting away and a cleansing of this sin before conception. And then it also symbolizes how the people are uncovered and clean before God. And so there's several places in the Bible where God tells them not only to circumcise themselves physically, but to circumcise their hearts. And so we're going to read a couple of those verses and discuss them because this was not just setting themselves apart physically. It was a visual for the people to understand. God does this often. We've talked about it before, how he gives us a visual sacrifice of these animals before he sends Jesus to die once for all so that we can understand and see visibly what God is doing invisibly. So Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good? Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, you above all people, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So he's saying, uncover your heart. Cut away whatever is covering your heart, making you stubborn and resistant towards doing all these things that I said before. Fearing God, walking in his ways, loving him and serving him. Jeremiah 4, 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Again, uncover your hearts so that I'm not angry with you. The uncircumcised heart gives a picture of being stubborn and closed off. Romans 2, 25 through 29. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew that is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So God's trying to explain to them, yes, I did the physical part because I was trying to show you, but what I'm really concerned with is the heart. He's saying, if you do this physically, but you still do not set yourselves apart for me, if you still have your heart so covered and stubborn that you don't let me in, then your physical circumcision was pointless. It's all about the heart. In Deuteronomy 36, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. Here it says that God himself circumcised their hearts so that they could love him completely. He uncovered their hearts. 
He cut away all that was separating them from him. Jeremiah 9, 25 and 26 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all that are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. So he's telling him right now, You are set apart for me physically because of your circumcision. But there's going to come a day where there's no distinction for me in that. Because even if you're physically circumcised, if your heart is uncircumcised, then you are still separated from me. God wants no barrier between him and us. He wants us to be completely open to him. So in saying that there would come a day where God would punish the circumcised with the uncircumcised because of the covering of their hearts, there was a lot of debate in the early church as to whether a man still had to be circumcised. And the foundation of the church is found in the book of Acts. And then also Paul wrote letters to specific churches and he clarified several things in those letters. And so initially this question was answered in Acts 15. And so I want to read that to you now, beginning in verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brothers. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, Men and brothers, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they." So the question was, do these new believers have to become circumcised? Because the Jews already had been. But God has now extended salvation to everyone, not just the Jewish nation. And so the question is, should these new believers have to become circumcised? And what Peter is saying is, this is a burden to them. Circumcision had begun with just the Jews, just the Israelites, the ones that were chosen by God. But after the death of Jesus, since God expanded this salvation to all the people, there were massive amounts of adults now becoming Christians that hadn't been circumcised as infants. And so Paul is saying that to have surgery now would place an unnecessary burden on them. 
since the salvation was already received to them by grace and not through the law anyway. Listen to what Paul tells the Romans in chapter 4, verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised too? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it counted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had while he was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and that the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. So he's explaining that the circumcision isn't what made Abraham righteous because he received that promise before the circumcision. And so also these people that were now becoming Christians had also received the promise before their circumcision. And so in essence, he became circumcised because he was righteous as a show of faith. But the circumcision isn't what made him righteous. It's much like our profession of baptism. It's an outward sign a visual that reveals our faith, but it isn't what saves us. Listen to Galatians 5, 1-6. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but the faith that works through love. So he's explaining that circumcision is really of the law. And the law is what condemns us. It doesn't make us righteous. It's completely contrary to grace. So if we're bound by the law, then we have to keep every single command entirely. And that's obviously impossible. But in Jesus, it doesn't really matter if a man is circumcised physically, but more if his heart is circumcised. If he has the faith of Abraham, not meet the physical requirements. Listen to 1 Corinthians seven seventeen through 20. It says... But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while he was uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commands of God, that's what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So he's again telling him the physical is not what matters. And so he's just telling them here, whatever you are at this moment, physically, stay that way. God isn't concerned with that. He wants your heart circumcised. So I just ask you today, how open are you to God? Is your heart covered? Is there a barrier separating you from him? How open are you with him? Do you tell him things? Do you talk with him? Do you confess? Do you thank him? 
Is there anything covering you, anything hiding you, anything separating you from the Lord? Listen to Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. God wants to come in to the places that nobody else is allowed. He wants us to be completely open with him. So, are you willing to let him into the places that maybe nobody else has ever been? Are you more open with him than anyone else? We can trust him with our feelings and our thoughts way more than we can trust any person on this earth. And so, just think today, if there's anything separating you from him, is your heart hard? Is it calloused? Do you need to cut away any sin that might be covering your heart and keeping you away from God? Is there anything you're hiding from Him? Anything you're trying to cover up? God wants us completely open, fully receptive to Him. So that would be something to work on, think about. We're going to talk about the middle part of this section next episode and then go ahead and get into chapter 18 also because it has to do with a completely different topic. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Also, leave comments wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying this, then give me a good review. Thanks and have a good day.